Sentire Media. Hello everyone and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 40, Half Time in the Investiture Controversy. Just before our Christmas break, we had left a rather precarious situation in Italy. Nothing new there, then. Pope Gregory VII was having big issues with the King of Germany and Emperor-elect Henry IV. They had deposed and excommunicated each other and then made a sort of peace at what came to be known as the humiliation of Canossa. Despite this peace, Henry continued to do as he pleased, showing that the whole Canossa business had just been a ruse to get out of a sticky situation. Indeed, he did not hesitate to capture and hold two bishops that the Pope had sent to sort out a succession issue of the bishopric of Milan. They were later released. Rather than finding a solution, Henry's main preoccupation in February of 1077 was to get himself crowned king of Italy in Pavia, the ancient Lombard capital. He then hurried back to Germany, where the German nobles had elected Rudolf of Swabia, cousin to Henry, as an anti-king. In this way, the investiture controversy which had been more of a cold war up to this point, became a real war. Now, you would think that this would have been a golden opportunity for Gregory to just weigh in on the side of the newly elected king, but it wasn't all that easy. There was the whole issue of the sanctity of the king. Basically, what this came down to was that kings drew their legitimacy from God himself either through representatives on earth, the clergy, or often more directly. Therefore, to start to continuously question the divine right, even if the man or woman holding the position was a bit rubbish, could mine the foundations of a system that kept everyone, churchmen and nobles alike, in their place. That was why one had to always tread lightly, and the question of legitimacy was always very important. So, Gregory stayed on the fence for all of 1078 and 1079, sending letters to Henry to try and convince him to come to a council in which all issues would be hopefully discussed and resolved. There was also a careful political calculation in this. If the Pope sided with either Henry or Rudolf, he would have no certainty that the man he backed would be the one to win out in the end. Things moved in favour of Henry when, on the 27th of January, 1080, he defeated the army of Rudolf in the Battle of Flarkheim, in which Rudolf barely escaped with his life. At this point, there was no chance of bringing Henry to any sort of conference. The king would only do so after his rival, Rudolf, submitted, and if Gregory consented to this, 
he would lose the support he had with the German nobles on his side. Once again, the only weapon really available to the Pope was a good old excommunication. This came about during the Easter Synod on the 7th of March, 1080, in which Gregory also recognized Rudolf as the legitimate king. He had placed his bet. Now it was Henry's turn to react. With the help of the bishops loyal to him, he had the Pope first recognized as illegitimate, then actually deposed, and finally, on the 25th of June, 1080, a substitute was elected. The man chosen, after the excommunicated Bishop of Milan had refused, was Guibert, Bishop of Ravenna, who took the name of Clement III. He was originally from the city of Parma, from the Da Correggio family, which is a little bit confusing because the name means from Correggio, which is another city, but anyway. The Da Correggio family were actually related to the Canossa, but unlike their more well-known and powerful relatives, they were pro-empire. Now, we mustn't see this new anti-pope, Clement III, as just a puppet of the emperor. In this period of great church reform, the organization did not think with just one head, but there were a series of different opinions and ideas, and Clement, along with many other Italian bishops, represented one of these alternatives to Gregory's more hardline positions. In the view of the group around Clement, the reform could be brought about in collaboration with, and not in opposition to, the empire. Whatever the case and the positions may have been, we now had a pope and an anti-pope, as well as a king and an anti-king. The situation couldn't and wouldn't last long. On October 14th, 1080, Henry and Rudolf clashed at the Battle of the Elster River, near the town of Hochmulsen, for the third and last time. Rudolf was actually victorious on that occasion, but he was also mortally wounded and died the next day. And nothing gets in the way of trying to become the king of Germany like dying. Despite the fact that he had lost the battle, Henry was now in the clear, and he could turn his full attention south to his pesky vassal, Matilda of Canossa, and her pesky ally, Pope Gregory VII. It was not actually he, but an army of northern Italian bishop counts who struck the first blow the very next day, on October 15th, when their army defeated that of the Countess Matilda at the Battle of Volta Mantovana and sent them fleeing for the hills. This left King Henry free to make his way down into Italy and try to definitively deal with Pope Gregory. The latter, however, was not going down without a fight, and starting back in June, he had decided to kiss and make up with the other important force in Italy at that time, the Normans of Robert Giscard, who had been excommunicated for encroaching on church lands just two years previously. Now he was once again back 
on the Pope's Christmas good boy list, a vassal and a protector of the Pope. This is why, in February of 1081, Gregory felt confident enough to renew his condemnation of Henry, and even send up two representatives to Germany with the task of electing a new king, like Henry was going to have that. Henry headed down. On the 4th of April, he was in Verona. Then he moved to Milan, Pavia, Ravenna, and down to Rome, after having the gates of Florence closed in his face and being welcomed like a hero in Lucca. He arrived in Rome on the 21st of May to find the gates closed in his face. The main reason he had made his way down to Rome was to finally be crowned emperor by his pope, Clement. Now, the ritual of coronation required two churches, one for the sovereign to be crowned in and one for him to lead a procession to so that a mass could be celebrated. Unfortunately, all of the available churches were inside the walls. At this point, it seemed that Benzone, Bishop of Alba, came up with the idea of setting up two churches in two different camp tents and using those. We're not sure if it really was Benzone who suggested this, because the source in this case was, well, Benzone himself. Anyway, that's exactly what they did. They ended up having quite a crowd, because the plebeians of Rome, never wanting to miss out on a chance to witness a special event, came out of the walls and were allowed to assist. So it was that Henry IV, King of Germany, King of the Kingdom of Italy, emerged from a tent as Holy Roman Emperor, with the assembled clergymen singing the hymn Veni Creator Spiritus, Come Create a Spirit, and they did feast upon the sloths and fruit bats and so on. No, they didn't really do that. That was just a Monty Python quote. For the moment, this was enough. A proper coronation inside the city would follow. It was getting hot and stuffy. That summer was a particularly hot one, so the emperor left a contingent to lay siege to Rome and returned to deal with the rebellious vassal, Matilda. He took advantage of a rebellion that had broken out against the countess, first in Lucca, then in Pisa. It was in Lucca, in July 1081, that Matilda was declared a traitor, and all her lands and public offices were considered forfeit. This early support from Lucca and Pisa earned them great privileges with increased autonomy, and Pisa would even have a final say when the emperor was to choose the new Marquis of Tuscany. At this point, Matilda of Canossa, now 35 years of age, after reigning over much of northern Italy, was reduced to a few castles in the Reggio Emilia Apennines. She was in no position to help Pope Gregory now. The best she could do was to collect the precious objects she had in some of the churches and monasteries, such as the monastery of Nonantola and the church of Reggio Emilia. She was able to gather together enough to melt down and obtain 70 pounds of silver and nine of gold to send to Rome to help the Pope resist the siege 
of the imperial forces. It was all to no avail. In 1083, Henry was able to enter Rome and take control of part of the city. Thus, on the 28th of June, Guibert was officially made Pope Clement III. The help that Pope Gregory was expecting from Robert Giscard was not forthcoming. He was busy with rebellions in Puglia. The emperor, who had had a mock coronation in a tent, was now able to consolidate his hold over almost all of the city, with Pope Gregory hiding out in Castel Sant'Angelo. Henry IV could now finally have a proper coronation, which he did in San Giovanni Laterano on the 31st of March, 1084. That was all he really wanted in Rome, and all he had time for, because Robert Giscard, Duke of Calabria and Puglia and leader of the Normans, was on his way with a big army. With his checklist filled in, namely King of Germany, King of Italy and Holy Roman Emperor, Henry IV legged it back north. Emperor or no emperor, it was not wise to mess with the Normans. After making a last show of attacking Castel Sant'Angelo, he was off. What had taken the emperor a few years to obtain, the conquest of Rome, was done by Robert Giscard in a day. The consequences for the inhabitants were devastating. There was widespread pillaging, violence, rape, and many were taken away as slaves. No difference was made between friend or foe. When it was all over and the Normans had left, the Romans looked around for someone to blame, and they turned to the man who had called Giscard into their city, Pope Gregory Seventh. To avoid being lynched, the Pope followed Robert to exile in Salerno. The man who had been the monk Ildebrando of Soana had no more fight left in him. He died on the 25th of May, 1085, guilty, in his words, only of loving justice and hating iniquity. With the death of Gregory Seventh, we could say that the first phase of the investiture controversy was over, but it was not all finished. You could say that they had reached a sort of half-time. And starting next week, we'll see how things proceeded. Until then, thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank you in particular to my Patreon donors, the Anita and Giuseppe Garibaldi level, Roberta, Sean and Jeff, the Matilda Di Canossa and Mazzini level, Benjamin, the Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei level Chris, Stephen, Vincent, Jay, Shelby, Caitlin, Ben, Dean, Ignacio, and the top level Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri Sen. Thanks also very much and welcome to a new Patreon supporter. And forgive me if I get the pronunciation wrong, and please don't hesitate to let me know if I do, Selene J. Thanks to you and all of the supporters, all of those who listen and write in. Remember, you can do so 
hello at ahistoryofitaly.com at the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com. You can click through to our social media, have a look at our timelines and maps to help you navigate our country's complicated history. Until next time, thanks very much again, and arrivederci. Sentire Media. Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.